working on this little series, and you know what? It, it's all about breaking chains. I can tell you now, that's what it is. I didn't tell you to do the song. I didn't tell you anything like that. That's what the Holy Ghost is doing. He's the one that's working at your ministry. You talk to him. He'll tell you what to do. Amen? So he sees us through, and he's teaching us right now. Those of us that have been sitting here, if you've been missing and been catching them online, he is teaching us something. We've been, in the last six months, we've been going through some stuff. We've been talking about how, to, how not to be falling for the bait that Satan lays for us. The stuff that trips us up as believers, and it hinders us. And now we're talking about what, the power, what is robbing the power from the people. What's robbing the power from the church? And not only are we just talking about it, but we're going to be getting into, and that's what we're getting into, is now doing something about it. It's one thing to say there comes a tornado and then go about your business. Anybody can do that. That's a tornado coming. Oh, well, okay. And you keep holding the garden or doing whatever. Maybe you're driving right straight toward it. But if you take some action, maybe you don't have to deal with the tornado. Does that make sense? And so that's what he's given us now. It's no, it's no, it's no, uh, it's no secret that the church in this world today and in America, now there are some churches that are just like thriving, but it's no secret that the church is kind of weak right now simply because of the stuff we got going on in our society. I believe by the word of Scripture that there is going to be a better time for the church just before Jesus comes. Do you want that? You want Jesus to come back and get us? Well, as you see, what's going to happen is if the church is having a better time, all those people we've been praying for that might be lost or sitting on the fence or they knew the Lord and they walked away, that might just be the time that they're coming back. Why? Because the power of God is flowing. Amen? And so it's okay for us to want Jesus to come back because the Scripture's teaching. We're going to go there pretty quick this morning. So this is Overcomers Part 7. Part 8 will be tonight. If you miss any of these, I'm telling you now, it's, it'd be like building that wall and taking blocks out of it as you're building it up. It will not be a strong foundation. Charlie's been working really hard to get them online, ain't you, Charlie? Shake your head and stomp your foot. So that we can get this out because I'm still of the, of the opinion that what they did in the early church of preaching the word is a very powerful thing. It means when you're out visiting, take some word with you. You ain't got to preach a sermon. The Holy Ghost might give you something somebody needs to hear, and it's going to pick them right up from where they were. So we, we need to do that. And so this is Overcomers Part 7, identifying what weakens us. And we're going to start into this for the next several weeks, and we're going to get down. It's going to get personal a little bit, I think. But uh, we need to follow the Lord. The past six weeks we've been looking at what uh, we as individuals and as a church um, or why we as individuals and as a church are weak in this present age. We've asked ourselves some very tough questions. At least I hope you have. That's the purpose of this. You see, you either want to get on the boat or you don't. You either want to have Jesus Lord of your life or you don't. It's the choice is ours. But he's given us this to say, hey, I'm here I'm ready to work. And the testimonies we've heard this morning, we get to see what God's been doing. Amen. Amen. We get to see what he's been doing. We've ever answered every question by using scripture. 
which is the truth. Now, sometimes we don't like the truth, especially when it hits us right square in the face. We don't like that sometimes, but it's exactly what we need. Last week, we looked at what motivates us, and I know there was snow on last week. It was rough. About 30 or 35 of you braved it, came out. I pray that you got fed. We, we went ahead and canceled because the temperature never got up and ice was forming everywhere. So anyway, that's online if you need to hear it. But the simple answer is, is what motivates us is just look at the church in the book of Acts. Nothing saying that that kind of work ever was supposed to stop. In fact, the Bible teaches us differently. That's what motivates me. I may not be there just yet, but I'm trying to get there. We as a whole, as a group of people, may not be there just yet, but we need to be motivated to get there. We got loved ones that need to be saved. We've got people that have cancers going on in their bodies and sickness going on in their bodies, and they can be healed. Nothing has changed with God. And so we need to be motivated to say, all right, Lord, I want to know what's going on. I mean, how does a person get saved until they realize, I need Jesus. I'm tired of living where I'm at. I'm tired of the way things are going. And then a good anointed message comes out. The Holy Ghost talks to somebody, and they get saved. They have a want to. And if we don't have a want to, then I'm taking up a 35, 40 minutes of your Sunday morning for the next several weeks, couple months probably, of finishing this up, and it really doesn't matter. So we have to have the want to. We need to be letting this come into us. We need to be turning our world upside down. Our community, our churches, our circle of influence, those are the people that, you know, maybe our, our light just shines. Maybe we don't have to preach to them. Just our light shines, and eventually they'll say, what in the world is it about you? That's what happened with the early church, right? Peter walked down the streets and what happened? People got saved. Peter walked down the streets and what happened? People got healed when his shadow touched them. They wanted to be there. We're not seeing that today and that's something that we can see and more. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You are the temple of God. It's the Word of God, right? Ain't it wrote down there? Therefore it is. You are the temple of God. You remember when the temple, when Moses went on the mountain and he came down, what, was, what happened? His face glowed so bright they had to put a veil across him. It was just so bright. It been like looking at the sun is what I picture at. What about the tabernacle? When the tabernacle, remember the one they moved around in the, wo in, in the woods? <laughs> I guess it was wooded and deserty and mountainous and wilderness the tabernacle when God's presence came in men could not come near it that's what the Bible says the power of God was so great that they couldn't come near it Solomon's temple and all of its glory when God's power came in when his glory came in the priests couldn't do their work wouldn't you like to have the power of God to come into our service today, right now, and it'd be so strong that we just couldn't go on about business as usual? We'd just be laying down and just be in His presence and the weight of God would just be on us. 
Wouldn't you want that? We got to have that want to to get there. That's what this says. You are the temple of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11 says, For even what was made glorious had no glory in, in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. What happened yesterday, what happened yesteryear, what happened 2,000 years ago in the early church according to Scripture, it's supposed to be even more glorious. Even more glorious. It's good to look back and see that and know, yeah, we had something going on, but maybe we have to backtrack a little bit and say, where did we get off track? Because today is supposed to be even more glorious. There are more of us. There are more little temples running around. Amen? They didn't have that in the early church. You remember I told you last week, Jesus appeared to 500 people when he was resurrected, right? And he made this statement, go and wait and tarry or wait until the promise of the Father. And only 120 thought that that was a good idea. 380 of them didn't get it. They didn't get to experience that. But what happened when the power of God came, these uneducated people were speaking in tongues that they didn't know anything about. They'd never studied them, but people was able to hear. People got to see the miracles of God. 3,000 get saved. 5,000 get saved. We see what God's doing. Peter and Peter and John heal a guy. They, they, they don't even get a chance to, to do an altar call, and 5,000 people get saved because they're on their way to prison. Got to lock them up. Got to shut these dudes up. And we got to stop being shut up by the world. We need to let the power of God come. We need to act like we believe what we say. we got to let the power of God come in and move mightily among us. In Hebrews 12 and 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only heaven, but all, I mean earth, but also heaven. Do you realize that Hebrews was written in AD 68? That was a little bit of time after what was going on with the early church. Yet once more, when is it going to happen? When is the once more going to happen? And I believe it had the key lies with you and me. Where our faith is, what do we believe? Don't just take what somebody tells you. Get it from the Word of God. If it's in the Word of God, then it's so. And that's what we need to let come into us. Look at the pattern in Scripture. He always saved the best for last. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 says, The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The church started after Christ ascended to heaven. He goes up after 40 days, and 10 days later the church gets started. And the beginning of it ain't nowhere near what the end is supposed to be according to this. According to this, it's not supposed to be. Jesus saved the best wine for the, for the last at the wedding of Canaan. Remember the very first miracle he worked was at a wedding. And they said, this is the best wine. John 14 and 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Are we seeing greater works today than what we read about that Jesus did? 
Oh, we had a wonderful testimony, and I believe Berkeley Leone is sitting here because of prayer. It's that simple. It's what God did. We listen to him. We pray. He's the one that does the work. Nobody in here gets credit for it. Nobody gets any credit for it. Only Jesus gets credit for it. Miss Margaret's doing better than she was. It's because of prayer. Your grandma's doing better because of prayer. Not by what any of us do. We, yes, we pray, but, you know, we just, we, we just take any glory that comes and just slide it off over to Jesus. It's his. It's the work that he has done. And that's what we're supposed to do. The church's end will be greater than its beginning. And there are some churches, I think, around this world, and we hear the testimonies that they're having thousands being saved, miraculous healings are happening, blind eyes are open, people who are crippled are getting up and walking. But it's not happening a great deal in the body of Christ, in the body of believers. Why? And that's the questions that we've been asking. Because we are the temple, right? Is that what the Bible says? We are the temple. First Corinthians 2 and 5, that your faith should not be. Notice it says, your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The wisdom of men and not in the power of God. We've gotten to the place in our society and in our churches, we follow men. And we don't follow the power of God. I've never asked you to follow me if I'm off on the Bible. If you think I'm off on the Bible, we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. That's what Christians do, right? If Jesus is in the center of it, we work it out, right? Am I right on that? But if we've got the power of God, if we, it's not in the wisdom. I don't want to hear you say, well, Ken, that was really great. Look what, no, this is what Jesus did. The power is in him. You see, if we come looking for God... That's who we find. If we come looking for some man to entertain us, that's what we get. And when we get a man entertaining us, what is happening to us? Well, we're happy for a few minutes. I mean, I can pay money to go to the movies and watch a good movie and enjoy that for a few minutes. But it doesn't change my life. When I need God to move, I need to be talking to him. 1 Corinthians 4 and 20 says, But the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And that's not saying it's not in the word. It's not in the word. That's where the power is. But it's not in the words that we say. It's not in the stuff that we talk ourselves up about. It's not in that. It's in the power of God. Speakers can take people and turn, their, turn them around and lead them to some places. Talked about a guy this morning who uh, in the 1930s, 20s, and 30s who turned the world upside down but not in a good way. Adolf Hitler. He was a great orator. Man, he could get people to follow him. That didn't make it from God, did it? Of course not. That wasn't the power of God that moved, and that was the power of evil that was moving. It was the power of God that put evil down. Thank God for our men and women in uniform. Carson's not here this morning, but he was a part of that, who went out and sacrificed everything so that we could be here doing what we're doing today. But it wasn't just that. It was taking on evil. That's what it was. It was taking on evil. And yet we got people that we can't be partial to them and not like them. Sister Bridget, she's here this morning. She's German. 
She's not Adolf Hitler. She don't have his heart. Jesus sock will come in my name's house. You're welcome. Bitte. Jesus says, welcome to my house. His house, not Ken's house. His house. That's what Jesus says, welcome. Welcome to my house. Welcome to my presence. Welcome to my word. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Come, all ye are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's who is going to do it. It's Jesus that does it. I can talk you up and make you feel good about it, but if you walk out feeling the same, there's something going on. How do we know that's happening around us? How do we know it's happening in our nation? Is we look at the stuff that's going on in our nation. How in the world can the church be so powerful for those kinds of things to go on? Evil don't get to overcome. Good overcomes. The church has still got some good days in it. Told you last week, arise and shine. Arise and shine. We're supposed to shine with the glory of God that is in us. It's not our power, it's His power. But that light should shine. You remember that from last week. That's where it comes from. Acts 3, 20 and 21, and he and he that and, and that he may send Jesus who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. I've thought about that, and you can, uh, we'll talk about it if you don't think I'm right about this. But his glory needs to be shown throughout this world before Jesus gets to come back. I'm not talking about going and preaching. I'm talking about the power of God changing things. The power of God changing. You want Jesus to come back and get us? Then we need to be listening we need to be letting the Spirit fix us and take some things that might be in us and change us so that we're more like Him and now He can work. Because we can't live in sin and just say, well, the God's doing this because He won't do that. Because what? He can't do that. He can't do that. And so these things, we got to look at all of it and that's what we're going to be doing talking about the kryptonite that weakens us like Superman. Stuff gets in our lives and it weakens us. And not only does it affect me, it affects the people in my family. In my family. And you need to be thinking along the same lines. We need the power of God to move again. Haggai 2 and 3. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, it is, not, is it not in your eyes as nothing? built the temple and there was no glory happening we look at the church today compared to what we read in the book of Acts don't we see something it says nothing compared to them but that's not how it's supposed to be and so we need to be seeking God are we seeing the glory and power and majesty of God filling the whole earth through his temple Where is his temple? You and me. Everywhere we go, the glory of God should be filling this world. Our community, our circle of influence, inside of our churches, inside of our nation, inside of this world. You and me. You are the temple. And we should be seeing this glory come 
shining through. Are hospitals being cleared out because of the healing power of God? No, I was up there a couple times. Didn't nobody leave because whenever my shadow walked by, the healing didn't happen. I was with my mother-in-law for a few days this week, who, by the way, she is getting weaker and weaker. It's pitiful to watch. But by my presence being in the house, she didn't receive healing. That kind of stuff bothers me. Somebody may be sitting here today, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're sitting around a whole bunch of Christians, and you leave here never getting it right with God. That bothers me. And it should be bothering you, and we should be looking and saying, all right, Lord, look at me, show me, help me, because I am your temple, and your light needs to be shining. And that's what we need to be seeking. Are we seeing whole communities receiving salvation? No. We have people that go two and three times a week, traveling 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 miles to go to the doctor, but they can't go two miles or five miles to get to church and come and receive from God. Why? Because they don't believe there's nothing there. Well, they don't think there's nothing there. They think there's something there, but we can't get to church. We can't come to the brothers and sisters. Call upon the elders of the church and let them lay, on hand, lay hands on you. Let them lay hands on you. Think about it. Think about it for just a minute, if you would. And this is not attacking anyone. If the Holy Ghost makes it seem that way, if that's something, then you and him deal with it. But the point is, the people of this world ain't coming here seeking stuff. And that's what we need to have happening. See, if we don't believe that there's something greater in the church, folks, we'll never seek it. This is just another message that just took up a little bit of time, but if we actually believe that there's something more, then we will seek it. No matter what, we will seek it. If Jesus says you get to find it today, then we will stick around. We will do what we can to find it today. And we might need to because we don't know what's going to happen going home. If we believe it, then we'll seek for it. We need to have his great power restored into the church. And if we don't believe it, then what will we do? We settle for less. We settle for less. And all we'll do is continue to sit around in our little circles, whispering, placing blame, pointing fingers, all the while growing angry and bitter. I need to ask you a question. If that might be you, if that might be somebody you know, does this sound like a temple that the Holy Ghost lives in? It doesn't. Well, then who's going to tell me? going to tell them well I don't want to hurt their feelings get mad at me for the rest of my life as long as you make it to heaven that's what I want I want you to get up there where God is I want you to spend eternity worshiping God and in his presence who's going to tell them or are we telling them oh well that's okay if we're doing that that's called heresy that's false prophets that's false teaching and we can't do that amen I'm going to tell you a story. You see, God takes this thing and he lays this picture out like a marriage. And I'm going to use Ken and Sandy's names. It's not me and Sweetie. It's just I don't want to pick on you. But Ken and Sandy, they meet up one day. 
they kind of like one another and they begin to date. And while they're dating, they get real close and they're like, you know, I really like this person. It gets to the place that they have love going on. And so, I don't know, maybe they were at a ball game in front of people or maybe it was just a quiet evening somewhere. And Ken takes a ring, gets down on a knee, and he says, Sandy, will you marry me? And she shakes her head. She can't say nothing because she is so elated and joyful. Tears are just flying everywhere. You know, floods are happening because she's crying so much. But finally, she gets to the point to say, yes, I will marry you. Well, they go to the church. She comes in in her white gown, and Ken is standing up at the front. And she's coming to her bridegroom. And the bridegroom is waiting for his bride. And they get married, and they go on a honeymoon. And when they go on this honeymoon, they discover things about each other that they never dreamed of. And they spend maybe the next six months, maybe the next year, just growing and saying, you know, this is so unbelievable. I had no idea what this was going to be like. Ken would come home from work and Sandy, she would be dressed to the nines and candles would be on, the house smelled good and get a little scent coming from the kitchen. It's like, oh man. You know, I'm not talking about me. Quit looking at my belly. And she says, hey, honey, how was your day? Oh, it was, it was just wonderful. You look so beautiful. And she's like, oh, you, you handsome devil, you. <laughs> now, we're all adults in here, and they have a good evening. Maybe every day they do that. She's keeping the house nice and neat. Everything is just great. One day, about a year later, Ken comes home. The candles ain't on, but yet he... Got something in his nose there, and it's that perfume that she loves to wear that just drives him crazy. He bought it for her. And he just loves that. Well, he goes in and he's thinking, something's amiss here. Something's wrong. Something's off. And Sandy's standing there in, in, in front of the mirror, and she's got on this beautiful dress, one she wears a lot with him when they go out. I mean, you know, this is my woman. This is my woman. And she's just finishing up putting on her earring. She's been sprucing up and spiffing up. And Ken's going, man, did I miss something? Are we supposed to go out tonight? Did I forget? And he says, hey, honey, uh, how are you? And she says, oh, I'm great, baby. How was your day? Well, it was good. Uh do I need to dress up? Oh, that'd be great if you want to dress up. That would be great if you could dress up. That'd be fine if you want to. And finally, he can't take it no more. And he's like, I'm sorry, honey, but did I forget that we're going out? And she's like, oh, no, you didn't forget anything. You didn't forget nothing. And he's now going, what in the world's happening here? It must be a surprise. So what happens? She figures it out and she says, well, I'm going out tonight, but you're not. Well, I guess where are you going? Well, I'm going out with Bill. Who's Bill? 
Well, Bill's one of my old boyfriends, and I still love him a lot. And I want to go and spend the night with him. We're going out to a dinner and a movie, and we're going to go check in at the Motel 6 down on 3rd Street. I'll be home about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And Ken's like, no, you're not. And she's like, look, I love you. I've done all of this for you. I am married to you. I want to spend my life with you, but you know, I still kind of have some people that I love and I like spending time with them. Now, folks, is there something wrong with that story? Really? I mean, what's Ken's problem? He gets her 90% of the time. And it's wonderful that 90% of the time. Is it possible that Sandy, now this is not me and Sweetie, don't y'all go be reading nothing into it. I just didn't want to pick on y'all. And it ain't us, it's just another Ken and Sandy. But is it possible that she never was taught what the covenant of marriage is? So to her, there's nothing wrong. I don't know what you're upset about. What's, what's the problem here? He's saying, but you're my wife. You're supposed to forsake all others for the rest of our lives. Now, if Ken would have known that when they were courting, you think he'd have gone through with the marriage, would you? Why? Why? Because it's what? Hmm. Brothers and sisters, can I ask you a question? Can we actually believe that Jesus is coming back for a bride that is acting just like Sandy? That's what these messages are about. We already seen that there's no power, that the power is very lacking. And that's a sign to us. That's a warning to us. You see, our relationship to God is always compared to a husband and a wife. Ephesians 5, 30 and 31, for, the members of, for we are the members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We are the bride of Christ. We shouldn't be acting in a way that we should that, that shouldn't be happening. From the beginning, God has established that the marriage covenant is, is an illustration to us about our relationship with Him. Jesus portray, is portrayed in the New Testament as the groom, and the church is His bride. Why is it that we not only excuse, but also at times encourage Sandy-like behavior? Yes, it happens. It happens. We can't encourage any kind of behavior that's not right. Our job is to do what the Lord gives us. Look at what God says through James. James 4 and 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amends that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? However, therefore, 
I mean, whoever therefore wants to be a friend to the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? Can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is very jealous for you and he will not share you with anyone. He wants to be with you. He wants to have this intimate relationship with you. But every time we get outside of what he gives us to protect us, we are now being an adulterer to our husband. I don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date women that do. Well, whoop de do. But when we're on the phone and we're sitting in little circles and we're stabbing people and we're doing the kinds of things that's not in the character of God, can I tell you something right now? That would make me an adulterer if I did that. An adulterer against God. His character needs to be inside of me. His light needs to shine out of me. The same happens for you and me as believers. We don't set people up on pedestals. We don't baby them through the junk that they have. We give them the truth that will set them free. If we believe that in our hearts and know what Jesus said, that the truth will make you free, then that is exactly what we would be doing. And to do anything other would then make us an adulterer. I don't care if you're not going to the liquor store. The boat is the same one. It's the same one. Adulterers. And those are strong words that he gives. And in this age when unfaithfulness seems to be the norm, friendships end at the drop of a hat. I'm talking about believers here because that's exactly who James was talking about. He was talking to believers. Friendships will drop, will fall, drop at, the, at, a, at, a, at the drop of a hat. They'll split up. Churches will split. Christians get angry with one another. They hold grudges. They become vengeful. And it's a wonder that we do avoid these kinds of truths when they land in our laps. Because we have to look at ourselves. Just like a child, whenever you tell them, I'm going to whip you, you do that again. I'm going to whip you. Don't you get tired of hearing that? Would you get up and just beat them for a minute? Quit talking about it and do something because they are just like us. Just like us. Eventually we don't take it for anything. Your, your threats don't mean anything. And the very things that we're given to protect us, we seem to avoid. And folks, that same kind of mindset happens with us when it comes to Scripture. We like to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. God says what He means and He means what He says. See, a Christian whose loyalty is divided between God and this world is an adulterer. By being a spiritual adulterer, we make ourselves an enemy of God. He doesn't do that. We do that. God has no desire, no desire to be an enemy with us. He loves us. And he wants us to be one with him. We're the ones that create the separation. Can we take the words of the Bible lightly? Far too long it's been done. We have to take the whole counsel of God. We like picking out pieces we like. And I'm going to tell you, you know, when you start down on someone else, the only problem is there, your relationship with Jesus ain't right. It's that simple. That would be called self-righteousness. 
And just like Sandy, I don't see anything as wrong. Well, who are you to tell me that? I'm not telling you that. The Bible says it. The Bible says it. We've got to take the Bible for its word. Can we pretend that the words in the Bible don't exist? I'm asking you these questions because sometimes it's how we act. We act like the words in the Bible don't exist. Peter, Paul, John, James, Jude, they all talked along these same lines. Jesus himself in the book of Revelation even talks about adultery. Spiritual adultery. When he's talking to the churches of Asia. See, God is a jealous God, and I'm glad that he is. Because you know what? If he's jealous, his love for me is very pure. He ain't letting up. He ain't letting up for nothing. Ain't nobody going to trip me up. He loves us. His love is not casual like the world's love is today. And his sacrifice on the cross, folks, should tell us just how much he loves us, how committed he is to you and me. You know how committed Rusty is to you? I mean, Jesus is to you, Rusty? Everything. Sue, you know how committed Jesus is to you? Danny? Danny? Double Danny? Y'all know how much he's committed to you? Casey, do you know how committed to you Jesus is? Oh, he is so committed. The only way that we can have intimacy with him, we got to get into the word, we got to take the word, we got to do the book, folks. Don't do the book. We got to ask ourselves, I mean, just what do we believe in? Tonight we're going to touch on that. We're going to touch on the fact that idolatry and adultery are very close relatives. In case you don't come back tonight, I'm going to give you the crux of it. biggest idol that you have to avoid and be careful around is you. All of this points to what's going on in our heart. So examine your heart. Is there a love in your life that threatens to come between you and God? Could it be alcoholism? Could it be something that we feel like we're okay to carry around? We can carry around hurts. We can carry around all kinds of stuff that takes us away from God. You know what? When you dance with that, when you take that on, you commit adultery. You commit adultery with God. This is the message we need to be giving to the world. First ourselves, then to the world. Amen? You upset and mad over something because somebody didn't perform how you thought they should perform? And go in the Word and try to find justification for it? The whole counsel of God won't let you walk there. No, it won't. I'm going to ask you this last question. I know it's quiet because I know the Holy Ghost is working right now. You know, when Sweetie and I started dating, man, it's hot up in here. When Sweetie and I started dating, and believe you me, I was gone 14 days a month. Hop up here, Sweetie. 
14 days a month, I was away from this beautiful woman trying to earn a living so her and my babies could have a pretty good life. And I had all kinds of opportunities. All kinds of opportunities, and she would have never known anything. But this is the most beautiful woman in the world. This is my wife, and I'm sold out to her. What you call it, or the newspapers and the tabloids call it, they call it an exclusive relationship. I am exclusively hers. She is exclusively mine. So don't you be going out tonight with somebody <laughs> down in town. But I want to ask you this question brothers and sisters, how exclusive is Jesus to you? Give us something to pray about, George, please. Thank you, Judy. I love you.